Welcome to In the Studio with Michael Card. We're excited to feature this classic edition of the program from sessions at the Mole End Studio in Franklin, Tennessee. What you'll hear now was recorded several years ago. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed, the powerful lessons from the music and conversations are timeless. Our web and email address hasn't changed, but now you can connect via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. We hope to hear your reactions to this classic edition of In the Studio. This is In the Studio with Michael Card, and we're in a celebration mood here today, That's Michael. Right. It's our 100th program. <laughs> well, you got to do something, say something. Uh, who would have I ever thought? I thought a woo-hoo or something was going to come next. <laughs> Other than being completely surprised that we're still here after 100 programs, I don't know what to say. It's probably the only 100th that you and I are going to see, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we're going to live to be 100, but we do today celebrate this, our 100th yeah. In the Studio program. And Congratulations, s- and Michael. And thank you, and we'll celebrate the Lord's faithfulness Amen. to us. Because if, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't still be doing this. Amen. Yeah. And I think we have a, a great program lineup to celebrate our 100th here today. Mm-hmm. We're going to meet a new friend in just a moment. And then later, we're going to continue our series looking at children in the gospel. We're actually going to conclude that on today's mm-hmm. broadcast. But first, we're going to talk to a, a, a brother who was at our retreat, our Life of uh, Peter retreat that we did here in Nashville. Just before we bring Barry on the line, though, tell us about the retreat. This was the first time that you've done this. It's the first one that we've done one out of our own community. Uh, I've done retreats for the Navigators and diff- you know different groups, but mm-hmm. this is the first time we came together and said, let's let's get the people who are part of our little community, our online community, and uh, look at the Life of Peter. Um, we, we went to Scarrett, which is sort of a retreat center in the middle of downtown Nashville, but you 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 think you're in the middle of mm-hmm. the country there. It's a beautiful sort of old uh, Cambridge style uh, architectural mm-hmm. place. And what was your goal for that time? Uh, you know, my my goal was to pass on some information about who Peter is and you know what his life is all about, so that we could all get closer to Jesus, because that's a, the point of looking at Peter's life. What I hoped would happen was that God would give us community in the midst of uh, in the midst of it and that's mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. so uh, I was very thankful and we're planning some other retreats now community was achieved yes. uh, witness our guest here on the program yeah. today Barry Carroll Barry welcome thank you good to be here now I wasn't able to be at that retreat but the two of you were so I'm looking forward to the report that you both bring today Barry what caused you to want to come well um, I'd say I've uh, been a fan of Michael's music and writing for years and uh, was part of the, the internet community and when I saw that the retreat was uh, was a possibility of happening I got excited, got a friend of mine and thought hey we both needed to get away, we're both busy mm-hmm. we need to get away and, and get into the word with some people who are like minded and um, fortunately spent some time with Michael Card which was a real blessing um, and we were uh, I should say we were pleasantly surprised at the mm. weekend. Yeah, we, we asked at the outset that God would just give us community as a gift, and I really feel like he, he did that, don't you, Barry? I do, yeah. yeah. Yes. Not because of anything we cooked up or any technique or anything. It's just a gift. We were just glad to be together. And what was, was the evidence of that? Barry, what would you say about this community that happened? Uh, well, first of all, in a very short period of time, yeah. You have people that were total strangers that you you felt like you had known them for your life. Yeah. <laughs> that was the unity of the spirit, you yeah. know. When when you meet a, a fellow believer, that we share that common spirit, and so uh, many of us stayed up late into the night after Michael uh, finished, and and we talked. And and Saturday night, uh, several of us who play music got together and shared some of our own songs mm-hmm. and some of Michael's and some hymns and. Uh, just that community was built uh, immediately almost. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to say then Sunday morning we had Scott Rowley and I did chapel, and it was for, for 27 years we wanted to do church our way, <laughs> and we, we finally got to do uh, simply the, the sermon was uh, I read First Peter. That was the sermon, hmm. and we had Lord's Supper, and, and then uh, Barry led worship, and we had uh, about five minutes of silence between each one of those elements. Now, and Barry, did you know, Barry, that you were going to be asked to do that? 
Uh, yeah, I knew Saturday night. Which yeah. But not when you signed up for the, the retreat. <laughs> I didn't know. But you, I didn't sleep well Saturday night either. Uh, but you did a great job of weaving together the themes from First Peter and then a couple of the other brothers and sisters. We had a guy playing penny whistle and a couple of other guitars. It, it was a wonderful time. And the Scarrett Chapel is this ancient... Uh, I don't know what period it is, but it's an, this ancient sort of Cambridge-looking place. Kind of and a European-style cathedral? Yeah, slate floor and, and huge, huge pipe organ and all the rest. And we had a glorious time. Yes, it was. And the thing I loved about it uh, was the simplicity of the yeah. morning. We're, there's too much noise in our churches today yeah. and the silence. And, and I got to play and sing without a microphone. Yeah. How beautiful, you yeah. know. Well, Barry, I didn't ask you what you do in life. Are, are you a musician a, in ministry of some kind? Are you a business person? Uh, I am a business person. I'm in sales. Um, I am one of the worship leaders at our church, and I teach adult Sunday school. Uh, one of my favorite things, I give guitar lessons one evening when I'm home and mm-hmm. uh, get to, to help young people kind of learn and grow. And, 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 and I talked with, with Connie at one of the meals down there, about how to to start building community within even my students. Yeah, I think that's something that every everyone took away as well is this desire. How can we go back to our communities, to our, to our hometowns, and build com- this same kind of community? And I, that was a pretty exciting idea. Yeah, Michael, I know you're planning future retreats mm-hmm. of this nature. Do you have to be a musician or musically inclined to participate? No, you just have to be a member of our little online community so you'll know it's happening. That's basically uh, okay. it's 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 a very small thing. We had like 30 people, fewer than 30 people, mm-hmm. and we're not going to let them get uh, any bigger than that because it's hard to get that community to happen with, with a, a larger group. Barry, I'm assuming that you would uh, tell Michael that you vote to go ahead with the next one, right? Absolutely, as soon yeah. as you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, in the teaching time, I have to say that the teaching time was so deep and rich. Uh, and, Michael, I appreciate that. Thank uh, you. To sit down and, and you know, the, the hours and hours that you spend in the scholarly research side of it, and you bring it to a heart level, and, uh, you know, of course, the Holy Spirit brings yeah. it to a heart level, but, but you're a, a great facilitator. And yeah, the teaching you. time was, my friend that came with me, we left just blown away. Yeah. Uh, as you said, we looked at Peter, but uh, Dan and I, who went with me, we, we came home worshiping Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. What more could you ask for? That's right. That's, uh-huh. that's why we did it. Hmm. Well, that's good encouragement. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. Barry, thanks for this report. Now, next week, Michael, we're going to talk with another participant mm-hmm. in this past retreat and then look ahead maybe to some future retreats as well. Barry, any last word for us? Uh, I would just uh, encourage everyone to be a part of what's going on. I think it's a great vision this building community and, and uh, get involved in discipleship too. I came away with, with that as a burning passion in my mm. heart. So. That's great. Well, thanks. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. And we'll see you at the next one. All righty. All right, Michael, as we say goodbye to Barry, we have a treat for everyone listening mm-hmm. right now. We're about to continue our series looking at children in the gospel, yes. and we've got a very special child in the studio. We do, here. and this is her first time uh, to sing in this kind of a venue. My uh, youngest daughter, Maggie, is going to sing for us. We may look back on this day and remember this for a long, <laughs> long time. Maggie Card now comes to sing, Make Me a Miracle. Maggie? It's all that I can do But most of all, Lord, take my life And make me a miracle too The world's so full of hungry souls I've little to give Could it be I might feed a few By the simple life I live Take these few fish and crumbs of bread Take my 
right, Maggie, thank you very much. This is a program you're going to want to keep in the family archives, And that Michael. was her first time, I think, to sing publicly like that. And how old is Maggie? She's uh, 10 years old. All right, Maggie, thank you. Um, that's a perfect introduction for yeah. our next conversation centered on God's Word here. We're looking at children in the Gospels. We started this a couple of weeks ago. We're looking at all the times when Jesus' life intersects with little children, and it's it's surprising how many stories there are uh, when, when Jesus interacts or uh, blesses them or prays for them, puts his hands on them, or in the story we're about to look at, uh, the children actually help Jesus in the in the miracle he's about to do. You know what's amazing to me, you now we've been doing this for a couple of weeks, but it's one of those threads that you never think to look for. You, yeah. know, you have to stop and think now. Follow that thread through the through the Gospels. Yeah, but it's interesting, Wayne. When I was a little kid, I was always fascinated by the stories that had kids Were you? in them. Oh, yeah. And so I, I I think for me it was a natural thing to then go back and try to write songs about them and, and, uh, and just try to delve more deeply into these stories. Right, where should we start today then? Well, let's start in John uh, chapter 6, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Okay. Um, interesting, this is the only miracle that, that happens in all four Gospels. Uh, so there's something about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that all the gospel writers saw as, as important uh, in terms of it, helping us to understand who Jesus really is and, and, and what he means. Uh, we start verse 5, if you like. Uh, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, which was only a couple of miles away, and so he would have had you know, local knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it was a natural question. And then John does something that only uh, John does. Uh, of all the Gospels, John is the only person who will take us aside and whisper in our ear and explain why Jesus does this and what was going on and what were the people thinking and what were the people feeling. These little parenthetical statements are only in John. So he takes us aside and says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that perspective in John. <laughs> Philip's response really echoes Elijah's servant's response, because in in uh, in Second Kings four, Elijah fed a hundred people, and uh, so this is a miracle that also reflects uh, what Elijah did. But Elisha's servant was also uh, not too hopeful that uh, he could do it. <laughs> this can't be done. So eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves. And what you need to know is that barley was um, very low on the food chain. Mm. Uh, The Mishnah says that barley is the food of beasts. Mm. And when Roman soldiers were punished, they were forced to eat barley. Oh, okay. So So, this is a pretty humble loaf of bread here. That's the picture. Uh, uh, It's it's, uh, Jesus doesn't have much to work with. I think that's the picture. And two small fish, sort of sardine-sized fish, right? But how far will they go among so many? Now that's apologetically presenting this humble yeah. lunch as a, as a solution to this huge problem. And that's the old reality. I mean, the, the truth is we have meager resources. That's the old reality. But Jesus has come to introduce us to a new reality. So Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And that's an exception in Palestine. So Mark speaks of the green grass. So that was an important sort of feature of this place. Mm -hmm. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them, no telling how many women and children. The men alone numbered 5,000. Probably twice as many more uh, women and children. So we call this the feeding of 5,000, but in reality... It could have been the feeding of the 15,000. There's there's just no telling. But only men were counted uh, back in those days. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks. Now, what would he have probably uh, prayed? Well, this is a very rabbinic passage. Jesus is very much functioning as a rabbi, and a rabbi would have blessed the food in the first century with these words, Blessed art thou, eternal God, our Father, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. Hmm. That's how you say the blessing. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And what I always do, Wayne, is stop here and say, did you miss it? That was the miracle. No waving of arms in the air. Mm -hmm. No, okay, Mm -hmm. everybody, what's this? The the subdued tone of Jesus' miracles, I think, are really 
is really striking in the, in the Gospels. Bottomless basket of bread and fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10, 15,000 people fed from five barley loaves. And later on, after uh, the Jesus walks on the water, uh, we're told that the disciples didn't understand about the bread. It wasn't until they saw Jesus walking on the water that mm-hmm. they understood that this was really uh, a revelation of his divinity, mm-hmm. this ability to feed people the way he did. So when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, this is a very rabbinic thing to say, gather the pieces that are left over. In rabbinics, the the leftovers were called the pia. And the the Mishnah says, great will be the punishment of those who waste the crumbs of food. So the pieces of of the leftovers were saved uh, and given to the servants. Okay, So that's a very important detail. Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. Now, this word for basket is the little lunch pail size basket. Oh. And so the image here is perfect provision. How many How many disciples? 12. How many baskets? They are perfect. What, what a great point. Isn't that something? They are perfectly uh, provided for. Now, in the, feeding of the, of the, in the other feeding, the feeding of the 4,000, it's big uh, man-sized baskets. It's the same word that's used for the basket that Paul escapes in, a mm-hmm. basket big enough for a man. Mm-hmm. So the point of that feeding is really, um, you know, multiplication. Uh, abundance. And, right. Mm-hmm. But here, the idea is that the, the, the servants, the slaves, who the disciples are and who we should be, they are perfectly provided for. So 12 baskets with the pieces of the five five barley loaves Leftover by those who had eaten. Notice they didn't pick up the leftover fish. I'm kind of glad they didn't. That would have been <laughs> gross. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very important person in the first century. This is Deuteronomy 18, the prophet likened to Moses. And isn't it interesting? After he feeds, gives people bread in the wilderness, they conclude, oh, this is the prophet like Moses. Because okay. what did Moses do in the wilderness? Mm-hmm. Fed them. Yeah, he was the manna provider. Mm-hmm. All right. So surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into the hills by himself. Jesus knows they only want to use him to further their ends, to conquer the Romans. So he withdraws. He, he will not become a bread king. And he goes into the hills to be alone with the Father. So it's it's an amazing story, but it all started with this little boy and these five miserable little barley loaves and two little sardine-sized fish. And yet this little boy is willing, like a child, to give everything he has. And, but look what Jesus does when we're willing to give what little we have. How many times have we read through this story, even sung Sunday school songs about Mm. this story, and yet never really dug this deeply into it? It's very, very helpful. It is so rich with detail. And and the other thing I like to point out is these are all eyewitness details. Ah. John is an eyewitness. So he was there. He saw exactly what happened. And it makes you appreciate as well how precious this book is that we have Mm. with this this account, Mm. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Wayne, there's one other passage I think it'd be interesting for us to look at in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 16. It's another time when Jesus crossed paths with, uh, with children in the All Gospels. Right. Uh, I'll read that. This is from the NLT version, Matthew 21, beginning at verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the stalls of those selling doves. He said, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a place of prayer but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him, and he healed them there in the temple. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the little children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But they were indignant and asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany, where he stayed overnight. Hmm. The um, the children here are spontaneous. Yeah, I, I was I was reminded of the passage in the Gospels where it's one of the places, one of the few places where it says, "And Jesus was filled with joy, and he looks up to the Father, and he is amazed that God has hidden these things from the wise, but has revealed them to little children." Hmm. So this is a, a fairly consistent theme, I think, in the life of Jesus, and here. 
as you say, Wayne, you see it happening. These little, these little children, these foolish little children have this intuition. I mean, God has shown them that this is the one because Hosanna means, oh, save. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not a lament exactly, but it's definitely a crying out to God. Oh, save us. Well, I want you to teach us more from this text, all that we can learn here today, Michael. But there's a song, speaking of Hosanna, there's mm-hmm. a song that you've written and you'll sing for us now here in the studio. And this is a song that was originally written for children to sing. It's called Hosanna. All right. Michael Card at the piano in the studio. Hear the song of all creation, Hosanna. Hear the stars and moon and sun say, Hosanna. Listen to the ocean waves and hear what the thunder says, Hosanna to the King of Kings. Hear the echo of the noise as Jesus sets out to destroy and cast all the merchants from the holy place. See the anger in his eyes, but then just look and realize there is still light upon his face. Hear the song of all creation, Hosanna. Hear the sun and moon and stars say, Hosanna. Listen to the ocean waves and hear what the children say. Hosanna to the King of Kings. As the courtyard settles down, the children gather all around to thank the one who gave them back their place to pray. But soon their hearts are overcome. They start to shout with joy and run to sing and leap and laugh and say hear the song of all creation hosanna hear the sun and moon and stars say hosanna listen to the ocean waves and hear what the thunder says hosanna to the king hosanna to the king hosanna to the king Thank you, Michael. I don't know if I've heard you sing that song before. Oh, that's on a, a, a unfortunately a very obscure <laughs> record uh, called "Close Your Eyes So You Can See," which is a, a collection of songs about all the times when Jesus interacted with children in the gospel. It's still available, I hope. It is, and there's a little book that goes along with it with uh, devotions and stuff. Good. Yeah. Well, what got us going in this direction was this passage in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus turns over the money changers uh, tables in the temple and yeah. the children break out into spontaneous hosanna and praise. Yeah. yeah, maybe they're aware of the fact that Jesus has really done something right. <laughs> yeah, this is the second temple cleansing. I always like to make clear that Jesus tore up the temple twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is in uh, one of the first public things he did in the Gospel of John was to go in and tear up the temple, but this this second temple cleansing is I think really significant because Jesus is taking a tremendous risk. It's Passover, which means that the the temple guards are there, these Benjaminite uh, big fierce temple guards, and that uh, a cohort of Roman soldiers have have been moved into Jerusalem to protect the city. And so to cause an uproar during Passover when the city swells from 50,000 to 250,000, that but Jesus probably shouldn't have done that. That was a very risky thing to do. But he goes in and he sees that this area in the temple that was reserved for the Gentiles to have a place to come and pray, a place for them to come and and, uh, be quiet with God, had been filled up with this commotion and all these these merchants selling doves and selling... uh, you know, changing money so uh, you could you could give your offering with the Tyrian shekel, which is which is the only uh, coin that was accepted in the temple. And Jesus saw that uh, with deep indignation that the Gentiles had no place uh, to pray, and so he responds to this passage from Isaiah: "In my house will be called a house of prayer. You've you've set up in the place only place where the Gentiles can pray." And it's interesting that John leaves this story out, and at the point in the narrative where John should have put the second temple cleansing, he puts the coming of the Greeks. That is, the the Gentiles, right after Jesus tears up the temple so they can have a place to pray. Mm. John tells us that a, a group of Gentiles come and they say, 
we'd like to see Jesus because hmm. he has just established for them or reestablished for hmm. them a place to pray. But this text tells us that he went on then to heal the blind and the lame. Yep. Um, and then the children begin praising you. Wonder, are they, are they, I mean, it comes as a package deal, I understand, yeah. but there's all kinds of wonderful things going on here. Well, and, and for me, the point is, I'm not so sure, you know, exactly if this is Matthew's point, but the point is, uh, and Luke loves to make this sort of a, a, a point, the, the people that should have gotten it, the, the religious leaders don't get it. Mm-hmm. And the people who should not have got it, the sort of the, the people who were, who were marginal in the first century, women and children and beggars and people who were sick because in Judaism clearly you're sick because you're a sinner and there's something wrong with you. All those people really get Jesus. Mm-hmm. They understand uh, what he's there because th- the only people who get Jesus are the people who realize they need Jesus. Wow. It's interesting here in the NLT text, and I think in yours as well, the NIV that you have in front of you at the moment, that it describes the religious leaders as being indignant. And that's a strong word, isn't it? Well, they, they see this as blasphemy. And Mark has already told us that they are jealous of Jesus. The, the fact that Jesus is crucified, Mark says, is envy. They're envious of the fact that the people have recognized a, a true religious authority in Jesus, someone who who has the authority clearly to uh, to heal people and even to raise the dead. And interesting, when he when he tears the temple up twice, no one will ever come to Jesus and say, you did the wrong thing. You shouldn't have done that because they all know that what he did was really the right thing to do. Hmm. The only thing they ever confront Jesus with is, who gave you the authority hmm. to do this? And uh, once again, here's Jesus with this wonderful concern for the Gentiles, which we will see working out in the life of Peter mm-hmm. as the church goes mm-hmm. out and out and out. Jesus wants for the Gentiles, the Gentile God-fearers, to have a place where they can uh, they can pray and worship God. So you almost get the sense here that the religious leaders are turning to Jesus and saying, now look what you've done. Even the children are all exercised and all this noise, you yeah. know. Yeah, what you've done, you shouldn't have done. But, of course, we know that what he did was the perfect thing to have done. And and once again, Wayne, these little children have the intuition spiritually. I mean, with their hearts, they understand, Hosanna, oh, save us. If anyone's going to save us, if anyone can save them, that it's the son of David. That's Jesus. And son of, David, lead them. son of David clearly is, uh, they know, is a messianic uh, title. He answers from Scripture. Absolutely. He does often. He speaks and he breathes scripture. Interesting, when the first temple cleansing happens, the disciples remember from Psalm, they don't, the, the prophets don't get quoted. What happens is the disciples remember, zeal for your house will consume me. Mm-hmm. Um, so two, two different, completely different uh, incidences, one based in the Psalms, one based in the prophets. Well, it really is fascinating to follow the thread of children through the Gospels. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again next time on next week's program. I'm looking forward to that. And this is In the Studio with Michael Card. We're coming up to the halfway point of the broadcast. Before we pause for a few messages, though, I'd like to remind you to get in touch with us. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. For more about this program and Michael's ministry, join us on the web at michaelcard.com. We hope you'll take advantage of the resources we've developed to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Again, the web address is michaelcard.com. In the second half, we'll continue to celebrate our 100th program with bluegrass guitarist Pat Flynn. And there's much more after this break here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Look for next week's new edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Join us as we hear Michael uncover lessons we need to face from the details of the life of Jesus. And we'll talk with our friend, broadcaster, and author Chris Fabry about creativity and following Christ in community. Challenging teaching, conversation, and as always, Michael's music that links the hour together. Hear the program and get the podcast subscription details at michaelcard.com. Once again, michaelcard.com. We are in the studio with Michael Card, and since this is our 100th broadcast, Michael, we search high and low for someone who would be willing to come to the studio here today, <laughs> live, and play the way that Pat Flynn is playing right now. Let's listen.
Wow, Pat. Thanks for being here. We're celebrating together the 100th show, and I couldn't think of anyone better yes, to indeed. spend it with. I'm happy to be here. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. It's oh. great to be out of Mole End. You know, yeah. it's a great place. We should say welcome back, and you were willing to come back the second time. Now, that yeah. says something right there. When I very first came out here to this studio to meet Michael through the uh, our mutual friend Keith Compton, um, I came out with my guitar stuff like I do on any session, and, and Michael and his wife were stomping grapes that day. You know, it's just, it's a, it was a different environment than I'm used to. But I, it's great. For those who don't know Pat, uh, you're an excellent bluegrass guitarist, right? I have played bluegrass, uh, yes, and I was in a group called Newgrass Revival. Newgrass Revival, And we played a, kind of a progressive or modern a form of it, but uh, uh, have been here in Nashville over 20 years mm-hmm. uh, playing on records. And you, it's Michael, you've said before that you can't live where you live without enjoying good bluegrass music. No, you can't. I mean, I think a, uh, most of us have sort of pushed country aside, but bluegrass, you know, if, 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 if you don't have a don't place. Don't say that. That's biting the hand of feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you don't have a place in your heart for bluegrass, right. I've got a problem. How do you spend your time, Pat? What do you do? Um, most days I'm in the recording studio uh, as a studio musician or a writer or lately a producer. Last couple of years I've mm-hmm. done that. Um and uh, make my living playing on, on records. Hmm. And uh, I've also been a member of a band, as we just said, and, and done a lot of my own records. I have my first uh, solo album coming out this uh, this spring. Well, we also love talking to you because you're a brother. Uh, you are you. one who loves Christ as we do. And, Michael, that means a mm-hmm. lot to us here to have brothers in the community here like Pat. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when we had our retreat a few weeks back, Pat came by and just sat and play, played and, and talked to the uh, the people that had come to the retreat. It was a That was a really... Nice afternoon. Uh, Michael didn't mention he made me play. <laughs> he demanded. No, I, basically, I, basically, I came to study the Bible with him. Yeah. I, said, Pat, I said, Pat, get your guitar out and dazzle us. <laughs> right, which was no pressure, by the way. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Well, before we talk, and we do want to talk about what it's like to, uh, to love Christ and to be in a, in a culture of performance and yet do it in a way that's Christ-honoring. Before we do all that, Michael, let's ask him to, to do this song for us that... He's brought to the studio today. Well, is is this the is this the song I've requested? Is this Mother Load? Mother Load, which was written by my buddy Rabbit McKay out in California, and I arranged it. Yeah, yeah. this is my favorite song on the album. And this is a one of the two sort of bluegrassy songs on, on the record, and I knew Mike would like this one. You gonna pick a little banjo with me? On I, I will. And I'll uh, sing too. I'm a hardcore working man, and I dig the best I can. My cup ain't never overflowed. But one day soon there'll come a time I'll go down in the mine, and I'll finally strike the mother load. I've been working every day, this dust has been my pay. I'm feeling just like old Tom Joad. But this feeling's gonna pass when I hit that one crevasse, and I tangle with the mother load. And when each new day comes along, I'm up and I am gone. I'm running down another road. And when all my work is done, I'll be sitting in the sun with that legendary mother load. Every peak, I've been panning every creek, I've been working in most every mode. But when this holy man connects, I'll be paying my respects to that great lucid mother load. I know the cutting could get rough, I didn't come to play no bluff. I got horses that just can't be woed. But this feeling's gonna pass when I hit that one crevasse and I tangle with the mother load. And when each new day comes along, I'm up and I am gone, rolling down another road. And when all my work is done, I'll be sitting in the sun with that great elusive mother. All right, Mike. I 
got boulders to be pushed, I got bandits to be pushed, I got whackers to be buffaloed. But these foes never last, now I lose them awful fast when I'm headed for a mother load. And when I hit that piece of ground, I'm gonna buy this house around. I'll pay back every man I've owed. Then I'll grab an easy chair, I'll go out and sit and stare at the beauty of the mother load. And when each new day comes along, I'm up and I am gone, rolling down another road. And when all my work is done, I'll be sitting in the sun with that great elusive mother load, mother load, that legendary mother Yeah, when all my work is done, I'll be sitting in the sun with that great elusive mother load, mother load. That ever loving mother Pat Flynn, along with banjo playing by Michael Card and harmony by Michael Card. I'm right. yeah. going to kick in the harmony there. I got whackers to be bushed. What a great line! <laughs> I got boulders to be pushed and whackers to be bushed and bands to be buffaloed. Oh man, what a great line! <laughs> Who wrote that? That was written by a buddy of mine out in California uh, that I basically grew up with. His name is Rabbit Mackay. Huh. Wow! And how can you not smile listening to a song <laughs> like that? I mean, if, if you're feeling just a little down in the dumps, just put yeah. on a little oh, music yeah. like it's that. It's a great and... bluegrass metaphor, Michael. Yeah. Well, four. <laughs> Well, it's for the struggles and the vicissitudes of life, you okay. know? Yeah, overcoming. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the mother load. Well, you got to have hope, don't you? So what and is the mother load? We all think we're going to get that letter that Ed McMahon keeps yeah, promising yeah. us, don't the we? The prize patrol is going to ring the doorbell. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the updated version there. Publishers Clearinghouse. Yeah. Actually, uh, you know, I, loved, I, I love that idea of it, too. I, I respond to that, too. It, it, it's great to, to have hope. You know, keep yeah. your eye on the prize. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that there's there's a treasure. It's the treasure in the field. It's the it's the exactly. uh, the the riches that you can't imagine that are waiting for you, and and someday you're going to strike it. <laughs> yeah. Pat Flynn in the studio here with Michael Card. Pat, last time you were here, we ended our time beginning to talk about what it's like to live for Christ, and you guys are you know in a sense performers. You're mm-hmm. out there in front of people doing your music. Right. And how do you live for Christ and honor Christ in that? And our time you know, was gone last time before we really fully explored that. So that's why I wanted to have Pat back today, Mike. Well, and, and uh, between the two of us, I mean, uh, as a Christian musician, I sort of, uh, I mean, I wince at saying this. I'm almost sort of a professional Christian, right? I get paid to go play mm-hmm. music about Jesus, which, I mean, has certain tensions. But what I want to hear you talk about, Pat, is being in uh, all not always Christian context, mm-hmm. but yeah. still being a believer, I mean, in the studio. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I know when you're on the road, um you know, a lot of times you were probably the only Christian in the bunch. So, mm-hmm. I mean. But I was with guys that were were seekers. Mm. And, and that's a little bit different. They, they weren't hostile to the message. Most of the people I meet are not hostile to yeah. Christianity. What they are is they're put off by a stereotype of Christianity that they foresee. It was that's enculturated with mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that most people uh, my age, or I should say our age, are seeking. Don't you find mm-hmm. that's true? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Uh, but, I, you know, you mentioned on the last show, I was sitting here listening when you had uh, Don on, uh, you know, you mentioned Bill Lane's quote, let the quality of your work be your protest, mm-hmm. right? The excellence of your work or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Well, I see that same way. Let the quality and excellence of your work be your witness, too. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, that, I respond to that because I think too often when you put Christianity together with the arts, one of them is going to suffer, mm. Uh, perhaps it's the, a bad articulation of the gospel, but more often the gospel message is just fine. It's the music that's weak. Mm-hmm. But either way, you see, I think it, it misses the mark because if the Christian witness is going to be strong, wouldn't the art that surrounds it be of the highest quality? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we let ourselves off the hook a lot. It's a spiritual song, so we can all amen it. Well, wait a minute. Is it... Is it good? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where I struggle with. But I think that I, I like to think that the excellence of someone's going to work is the opening door to talking to somebody about Christ. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that kind of work ethic sure. that they'll notice, why would they listen to you in other areas? If you were a second-rate guitar player, they would say, who cares about him and what he has to say? But the, it's the excellence of your work. So I, I just sort of... I sort of stole that a little bit, the yeah. Bill Lane quote. Yeah. I think it's relevant. Yeah, but... but uh, um Wayne, I want to remind you that God uses second-rate guitar players, too. <laughs> now, you know what? He Michael, uses everything. I knew he was going to say something self-deprecating, but I told Michael Card this the other day. Might as well say it on the air, uh, instead of behind his back. Uh, 
the way I responded to Michael Card's music originally uh, was not because of the th- great theology that was in there. Mm-hmm. It's because he was such a terrific singer and writer uh, and arranger. Thank you. Musically, there was yeah. excellence there. Now, to mm-hmm. me, see, when I ran into Poema, here was a Christian record, quote-unquote, but it was gorgeous, beautiful. It was Celtic, and there was bluegrassy and folk strains. Mm-hmm. There was this great music on there. That's what I responded to. Now, when I got there... He, when he got mm-hmm. my, when I got there, now I under, Now I started listening to what he was saying. The lyrics mm-hmm. were yeah. yeah, but the order of that was is very important to, mm. to me. And Michael's one of the few guys that can put together first rate, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, articulation of the gospel. I mean, in other words, he's a great teacher mm-hmm. with being a great musician. Now that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. I might could mention to you a couple other people. People like maybe Wayne Kirkpatrick or, you know, people like uh, Rich Mullins or perhaps Mark Hurd. But there's very few of them that can do mm. that. And it's Thank interesting you. you would say that in the culture which we're recording here in Nashville. I mean, yeah. this is home for you, too, yeah. but this is a this is a different place. It's a, it's a tough place, isn't it? Any music center, whether it's L.A., New York, Nashville, it's, it's, it's highly, highly competitive. And um, that's good and that's bad. It's bad in the sense that a bottom line becomes your mentality, and when you sit down in a chair to do a job as a session player or a singer, right, or whatever, you know that there's hundreds of people wanting that spot, Yeah. okay? And so you you get into a bit of a shark mentality. Now, that's, we talked about this last time, that's always at odds with what, you know, your your Christian vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other hand, I think the level of competitiveness is good, because, buddy, it's going to to draw your best work out of you Mm. here. Or not, mm-hmm. okay, or bust, but the fact of the matter is you're going to have to produce your best work. So in that sense, especially just speaking for my, me personally, it, it grows you. It, it challenges you. You're going to get your best work out here. Now, mm-hmm. you won't find that if you're living in some other city that may not have the challenges. So it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, iron mm-hmm. sharpens iron. Yeah. Well, and I think the call that goes out to everyone is, is to create their best work. Right. I mean, at whatever level you create or in whatever context you create, I mean, that's that's the call of the Bible to do what we do excellently. Yeah. You may be rebuilding an engine somewhere. Yeah. But if you're good at it, that's going to capture somebody's yeah. attention. I can't think of a better example, guys, than we're sitting here talking than Mercy Me single. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing broke through every wall there is supposed to be out there. And these are hard walls. Yeah. A Christian song that went from the typical box that they put Christian music in, but it broke out of the bookstore. Mm-hmm. It broke out of the Christian music center and it went into pop radio and it succeeded. I mean, it just played. Well, now why? Without sacrificing anything. No, it didn't sacrifice a thing. They didn't go back and change their lyrics. And and I, it's a beautiful song. It's a wonderful song. Don't miss my point. All I'm saying is the excellence of that single, okay, kicked those doors down. Mm-hmm. It hmm. wasn't that everybody in pop radio said, oh, good, a song about Jesus we could play. Yeah. There was every kind of resistance to it. But ultimately, hmm. they had to, to allow it because it was such a great piece of music and a great single. So hmm. anyway, that's just a good example. Of what I'm yeah. It can be done, Michael. Hmm. You know, you've worked in, you know, you, you've done it. You have fans that are not uh, just Christian music fans. But I think God has to do that, too. I mean, I don't think I, I would hate to think that it's it's uh, incumbent upon me to be clever enough or good enough to make. You know, make that happen. I think, um, you know, because the other side of it is you and I know fabulous players and songwriters who nobody listening to our voices will ever hear of. Right. Right. And for some reason, those songs don't break through the ceiling. Right. And so God, I mean, the rain falls on the just and the end. I mean, God does his thing. They've touched somebody out there, though. Yeah. They've touched some people. I'm glad you mentioned that. Of course, I'm not trying to pat you or me or anyone on the back. I mean, God can use whoever. Absolutely. Uh, The best example of that is is the story about Mother Teresa when she was talking to a reporter who was demanding that she acknowledge her own celebrity. He was saying, come on, you're, you're, you know, put yourself down, but you know who you are. You're Mother Teresa. You're a Nobel Peace Prize. Renner, you're a household name, and why don't you just acknowledge that you know that? And she looked at him, she said, young man, she said, do you remember the story of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem in triumph during, and at the beginning of that week when he rode on a donkey through the streets and they threw uh, palm fronds and they, and they threw, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they path, they put cloaks on his path and they, ho- they, they gave him hosannas and, mm-hmm. and, and lauded him as if he was a king. And he said, well, yeah, I know the story. And she said, did you ever think that the donkey may have thought it was for him. <laughs> I think that's a great point. So, Well said. Yeah. 
You've got a lot more music in you. I can tell you're sitting there with that guitar. You've, you've well, got to give us a little bit more here, right, Pat. Wow, right. this is our 100th program. All right. <laughs> Here's another tune that's off the same record, which is in the CD is entitled Request with a capital Q. Pat Flynn is with us in the studio with Michael Card. And its sound created all the universe And the word was grace and glory Come down to live and walk upon the earth Moving through the darkness Bright as morning sunlight it was heard And the world stood amazed at the beauty and the wonder of the world. Born in a manger, in the company of strangers on that night. High above the stable wall. A solitary star was shining bright And the angels told the shepherds To celebrate the miracle of his birth And wise men came to worship At the beauty and the wonder And they walked along the hillside People gathered round to hear him speak And he fed the hungry, healed the sick Gave his blessings to the poor and meek He looked deep into their eyes and told them all how little gold was worth Compared to the riches and the beauty and the wonder And its sound created all the universe And the word was grace and glory Come down to live and walk upon the earth Moving through the darkness Bright as morning sunlight it was heard Stood amazed at the beauty and the wonder of the world. And the world stood amazed at the beauty and the wonder of the world. So the Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father. John 1.14 came to mind, obviously, Pat, when Absolutely. you sang that song. That's right. The Word, Pat Flynn here in the studio. 
When did you write that? This was written by, I arranged it, it was written by a, a friend of mine named Jim Varsos here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting, when we just talked about the company we were keeping on the road, mm-hmm. Jim is not a believer. He's a seeker and wow. wants to know and wants to understand, but lots of things stumble him. And uh, mm-hmm. he kind of wrote that out. I put a lot of the musical stuff behind it. Mm-hmm. But I told him I'm going to do something with that, and he's happy about it. I think the whole, I think God is pursuing him, mm-hmm. as, as he is a lot of people. Well, you sang it as if it was your song, yeah, and there yeah. was just something, there was a feeling about it that it sounded like it had come out of you. Something deeper at work yeah. there. Huh? Yeah. yeah, musically I've taken it in a certain place, but I I'm always was intrigued by... By uh, that. of course, he's a good writer. So you know, yeah. a writer can write. Right. Uh, they don't have to live everything. And I think a while ago, um, it was it Henry Blackaby who wrote such great material about the concept of God pursuing you? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really a, a paradigm shift for me. Uh, I've always sort of was thinking that you know we're all searching for God. We're all looking for God. Yeah. And uh, of course, Steve Brown always says Christianity is the only religion where uh, you know instead of people reaching up to find God, God, God reaches yeah. down mm-hmm. to man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Blackaby followed up with that by by the idea of uh, of saying giving you the idea that God is pursuing yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Beekner says we look for Him until He finds us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, I, I, I find a lot of, uh, of hope in that uh, for people that are searching, you know. Michael, uh, we've always had such good fellowship with uh, our friend here, Pat Flynn, in the studio. I wonder if you wouldn't mind praying for Pat and yeah. for what he does and what he brings uh, in his work and worship of Christ. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we lift up our brother Pat to you. First of all, we thank you for uh, the gifts that you've wrapped up in him. Uh, uh, his musical gift, certainly, but more uh, just the heart that you've given him and uh, the countenance that you've given him and the way he, he makes us all feel uh, accepted and encouraged whenever he's around. So we thank you for him. And now, uh, as he has this new uh, set of recordings out, uh, request, we pray that you would bless that, bless the work of his hands, and bless the ministry that you've, uh, that you've entrusted to him. Uh, we pray a blessing on his family. Um, but we just thank you for him, and uh, we give him to you uh, all over again in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Well, what a great way to conclude our 100th broadcast of In the Studio with Michael Card. And I hope that you'll pray for us as we work to bring more of these weekly sessions your way. Please take a moment and pass along your comments or post a review of this podcast. You can pass along the link for this podcast to a friend. Search for Michael Card on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Spotify. And send your comments or questions through us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. You can also access Michael's weekly blog, learn about his conference ministry, and other ways to expand what you've heard in this session. We're found at michaelcard.com. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Lauren Kosky, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Carr.